Amen. Thank you, ladies. Great thought, great job, great song. Go ahead and get in your Bible, if you would, to Luke chapter 19. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one near you. It should be in the little holder in the chair in front of you. It's got a hard black cover. We'll be on page 771. Page 771, Luke chapter 19. We uh, recently started a Sunday morning series on great truths communicated with simple words. Profound things, of course, are best understood by most of us when they're communicated through the vehicle of simplicity. When complex things are communicated with difficult words, they're often misunderstood and sometimes not understood at all. And what God does is He makes sure that the most important things to Him are communicated to us simply, and He most often repeats those important things for additional emphasis and clarity. And as I've mentioned several times now, uh, our Bible has 916 verses in it where every word other than a name or a number is a one-syllable word. And so my focus during this series as I looked over those one-syllable word verses are great truths communicated in simple words. Last week, we talked about uh, finding grace in a dark and a difficult time. Grace, of course, is receiving something good that we do not reserve, uh, deserve. And thank God that Noah found sufficient grace in his day. And in what would be the worst days of the earth as far as the condition of mankind, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He lived a just and a righteous life. He preached righteousness. He raised his family to be people of faith in those dark conditions. And we encouraged one another that regardless of how wicked the world around us becomes, there is grace from God for you and I to live for Christ and to have our families be people of faith in the midst of that darkness. Now, to those of you who are Bible readers, the statement of Jesus we're going to talk about today is it's pretty familiar ground. But most of the world around us, they have no idea that Jesus made the statement we're going to talk about because in their own mind, they don't think about Jesus as being focused on what He claims to be focused on. There's some in the world who claim to be seeking God. But because they look in the wrong places or they don't sincerely look, they end up disappointed because the process of finding God doesn't actually even begin with us seeking Him. Others in our culture, are, they just, by their own admission, they're not seeking God. And they are content in the religion in which they were raised or lack of religion. And they're content if... They have no religion at all to just live however they want to live as if there was no day of judgment coming when our Creator will hold every man and woman accountable for the way they lived. I've got good news for you this morning. If you're someone who thinks or says that you've been seeking God but haven't been able to find Him. In fact, I have good news for those who by your own admission are not really seeking God but instead are just living your life the way you want to live it. I'm told many years ago when the Fiji Islands were first civilized, there was a lot of interest to bring uh, some commerce to that primitive society. And it was a difficult project because there in those islands, the native islanders, they were cannibals. In fact, we have an interesting biography in our bookstore about 
uh, one of the men who took the gospel to those islands. Well, there was a young merchant who wanted to get in on the ground floor of this commercial opportunity, and so he too went to the islands and he visited a prominent chief, and he noticed that there in the prominent chief's room was a Bible displayed. The young men said, what a shame that you have listened to the foolish nonsense that some missionary brought you from that Bible. The chief was really taken back by this young merchant's response, and he said, do you see that large white stone out there? That stone just a few years ago was where we smashed the heads of those who were our victims. He then pointed to the center of the village and he said, do you see that large oven in the center of our town here? He said, that oven is where we used to bake our victims before we feasted on them. And at that point, the chief stepped close to the face of that young man seeking profit and he said this, had we not listened to what you call nonsense from the missionaries, your head would already be smashed and you would already be cooking. You know, I think most of us understand that there's a big difference in seeking God and seeking profit and success in life. But did you know that Jesus was seeking something when He came to earth from Bethlehem, from the virgin womb of Mary? He was seeking something. And it wasn't profit, nor was it success. If you are able to stand this morning, stand please if you would in honor of the Word of God, the title of my thought this morning is, Jesus is looking for you. Jesus is looking for you. In Luke chapter 19, we begin in verse 1 where it says, And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press, because he was little of stature. He ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. When they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that was a sinner. Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. If I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. I think you might be seated. For children here who are blessed to grow up in children's ministries of a biblical church, singing about Zacchaeus is a childhood memory. In our children's church, they sing, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And when the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and said, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today. I'm going to your house today. Thank God for faithful children's ministry workers and for parents who bring their children to be part of them. The story of Zacchaeus has many practical lessons, though we are not per se studying the story of Zacchaeus today. There's a lesson in the futility of success and wealth. Zacchaeus was very wealthy. 
He was very successful. Everybody knew who he was, but yet Zacchaeus knew that there was something missing in his heart, some kind of true satisfaction that he did not have. You see, our Creator designed a God-shaped opening in the human soul that can only be filled by Jesus Christ. Now many people spend their life trying to fill that gap in their soul with things that really can never fill it. The broken relationships and addictions of the rich and famous in our culture ought to warn anyone who thinks that you will find satisfaction there that wealth and beauty and fame are empty shadows for those who obtain them. There's also a lesson in the way the world tries to hinder people from finding and following Jesus Christ. I mean, why would the crowd murmur about Jesus eating with Zacchaeus? I mean, Zacchaeus was obviously someone who needed the Lord. I think we all understand the world is no friend of our Creator. The world is no friend of the moral values that He established or the priorities He has asked those who follow Him to live by. There's also a lesson in the change that happens in the life of anyone who truly believes and receives the Lord Jesus Christ as Messiah, as Savior and Son of God. I mean, I think a man that everyone who knew him would have agreed to be greedy and crooked who was instantly changed by Christ to value honesty and to return the money he had wrongfully taken. Uh, Listen, that was a change wrought by Christ. Listen, there's something deeply wrong when someone claims to be a follower of Jesus and they don't live a changed life. Listen, if you say you have faith in Christ and there is very little in your life that demonstrates that's to be true, you're kidding yourself and your faith isn't real. Those are certainly worthy lessons of our time, but they're not our focus as we are focused in this particular season of Sunday mornings on great truths communicated to us in simple words. And the summary statement of this story with Zacchaeus is a great truth that's communicated to us in the simplest one-syllable words in verse 10, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Why would Jesus leave the right hand of His Father in heaven to be born in poverty in a stable of Bethlehem? Why? The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Why would Jesus leave the praise and adoration of multiplied millions of angels to be despised and rejected by those who came to help and to save? Why? The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Why would Jesus leave the perfection of heaven for a world warped by the rebellion and sin of both man and devil? I'll tell you why. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Why would never feeling pain there in heaven be exchanged for a place where He knew He would be wounded and bruised for our transgressions? I'll tell you why. The Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. Any kind of questions that you and I might have that would be similar to those wondering why Jesus left all that He had in heaven to come to earth are answered in those simple, one-syllable words, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. For more than 30 years, archaeologist Howard Carter searched the deserts of Egypt for something 
that most people thought did not exist. The tomb of King Tutankhamun. We know him as King Tut. Most experts believe that everything in the Valley of the Kings had already been discovered, but Carter continued his search. After five years, his sponsor back in England told him that at the end of that season, his funding would stop. But in November of 1922, during his fifth year and final season of work, he uncovered a staircase near the tomb of Ramses VI, and he sent this telegram to England which said, at last have made wonderful discovery in the valley, a magnificent tomb with seals and intact. And there, after this lengthy search of historical records and the sands of Egypt, he had indeed located the tomb of King Tut. It was one of the greatest archaeological treasures ever found. Cataloged more than 3,000 pieces and the first royal mummy that had been uncovered ever. The first person to see it in 3,000 years. You see, Howard Carter searched historical records in the sands of Egypt seeking treasure. Jesus Christ left the treasures of heaven. He who was rich became poor for our sakes because He came to seek and to save that which is lost. What I'd like to do this morning for a few minutes is just make some observations and applications of Christ's great statement made there at Zacchaeus' house. Now if you would, keep your hand in Luke because we'll be back there in just a moment, but if you would please first go in your Bible to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Hold on to Luke, we'll be back there in a moment. Some observations and applications of Christ's great statement at Zacchaeus' house. Here's number one. Mankind is lost in their sins apart from Jesus Christ. Remember, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Romans 3.23 says these simple words, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You see, if mankind wasn't lost, there would have been no reason for Christ to leave heaven for earth. But man was lost. And so Christ did leave heaven for earth. Man was not lost on a map like many of us have been. I mean, just yesterday I listened to my uh, Google Maps send me someplace that was not where I was going. Mankind wasn't lost on a map. He wasn't lost from Google Maps. He was lost in his trespasses and sins. And though man may define sin as things other people do, God says that all have sinned because He defines sin as any transgression of His law. You see, when God says, Thou shalt have no other gods before Me, that makes it a sin to put anything or anyone ahead of God. When God says, Don't take My name in vain, that makes it a sin to use God's name uselessly at the end of a sentence or as a curse word. I've had a lot of people say to me over the years, say, well, I don't take the Lord's name in vain anymore. I always ask them the same question. Would you still be a murderer if you killed somebody 20 years ago? By the way, you're still a blasphemer if you used to take the Lord's name in vain. When God says, I shall not commit adultery, and Jesus raised the standard from the physical act to any man who lusts in his heart for a woman. Listen, when when that is God's standard, uh, all of us from our hearts have had desires for someone that was not correct. And the Bible says that's sinful. When God says, thou shalt not steal, that makes it sinful to steal. 
And that's true for things of little value like your neighbor's test answers. That's also true for your neighbor's car from his garage. Listen, when God says, thou shalt not bear false witness, don't lie, and and then in Revelation says that all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire, what that means, it means it's sinful to be dishonest, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You see, when we understand what sin means, uh, we understand that we are all sinners, and everyone apart from Christ is lost. You see, because of Jesus Christ, that which is lost can be found. See, our God, our Creator, He is perfectly righteous, perfectly holy, perfectly just, and if He were ever to let anybody in His perfect golden city who did not have all their sins washed away, He would no longer be holy or righteous or just. You see, anyone who has not come to realize their loss has not yet taken the first step to facing the biggest problem we have. Hear me this morning when I say the biggest problem we have is not who's in the White House or who controls the House or the Senate. Though that does matter for American life. The biggest problem you and I have is not that we make $20 an hour and we feel like we're worth $35. The biggest problem all of us have is not the way our parents raised us or the neighborhood in which we grew up. The biggest problem every human being has is that you must come to grips with your real spiritual condition. You're lost in your sins. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Let me ask you this morning, have you personally faced the fact that you're a guilty sinner? That your Creator is holy and just and righteous and sin is not just okay. He is not going to pat you on the head someday and say, eh, don't worry about it, come in anyway. Have you personally considered what to do about your sin? Which gets us to our second thing, and it's right there nearby. Here's number two. Jesus came to seek those who are lost in their sins. It's not just that mankind is lost apart from Christ. Jesus came to seek those lost in their sins. Remember, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Look at verse 10 there of Romans chapter 3. As it is written, and so he's going to quote the Old Testament here, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. Now to most of us, bringing our American proud uh, value system into this, we don't like that kind of talk. What we like is we like somebody to tell us we're not that bad because we're better than such and so. But God doesn't compare us among ourselves. God compares all of us to His perfect moral standards as lived by the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, a person's relationship with God never begins with us first seeking God. It always begins with God first seeking us. The problem is, is like it says in John chapter 3, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And from the day that Adam and Eve directly and willfully disobeyed God and they hid from God. They didn't seek God. They hid from God. They would still be hiding if God would not have sought them. Now many do seek the kind of God that doesn't define right and wrong the way our Creator does. Many still seek a God who doesn't care uh, 
if we transgress His moral commandments. But man never seeks the true God first. God, from the days of Adam and Eve, has always sought us first. God first seeks us. God first loves us. Thanks be unto God that He seeks every person at some time in their life. Hear me when I say, look over the ministry of Jesus and He didn't find a throne in Jerusalem and sit there and demand that everyone come to Him. You look at His life and what He did is He went around from village to village and city to city. Why? Because He was seeking people. One of the reasons the Lord Jesus left the praise of heaven is to seek every sinner within the sound of my voice today. If you're here this morning and you're not yet saved, you have not yet been found. Christ is seeking you. you. You may think you came here today because there was a free lunch. You may think you came here today because some loved or respected friend or family member invited you. You may have came today because uh, you just wanted to get somebody off your back who's been bugging you to come to church. Listen, uh, you may not realize it, but you came today because Christ is seeking you. He put a desire in your heart to come. He put a desire in your heart to listen. He gave you a recognition that you're lost in your sins. My parents took me to a place called a church nearly every week throughout my childhood. But throughout all of that, though we went every week, I never one time heard about needing to be saved. I never one time was warned about judgment or hell or told that I needed to be born again. Never once. And to my shame, when I was about 17, uh, because the people I knew in church who claimed to believe uh, acted pretty much like the people who were not in the church who did not claim to believe, to me, I said, well, this is pointless. You're in there claiming to believe and you're just like everybody who doesn't. And again, to my shame, I spent my older teen years and four years of college doing what I wanted to do doing what everybody else around me was doing. By the grace of God, I was very successful in life. But my heart was empty. And for me, my last year of college at the University of Toledo, a young man I knew sold me a Bible and challenged me to read it for myself. I had no idea at the time, but Christ was seeking me through the Bible that young man gave me and challenged me to read. For me, my dream job was to work in the corporate engineering office of the Owens, Illinois company. Their world headquarters were in Toledo. That was my dream job. God, though I did not acknowledge God in my life in any way that He had asked me to acknowledge Him, uh, I was given that dream job. And they sent me to Cincinnati, Ohio for three years to get some practical experience before having me come back. I had no idea at the time but God, through the loneliness of me being down here by myself and opening the door for me to read that Bible that someone had given me, God was seeking me. For me, after reading the New Testament twice, the first 10 or 12 books of the Old Testament twice, we were sitting in my workplace in the office talking, and, and I love to play ball. You may think sports are stupid, or you may hate sports, but I like them. I like to watch them. Listen, I don't care uh, who it is. If there's two toddlers crawling down the floor racing, man, I've got a side and I'm yelling. 
If you play me Candyland, I'm playing to beat you at Candyland. I'm wired that way. I'm a much more gracious loser than I used to be. But we were sitting there talking about playing ball, and the guy said, my church has a team. I said, what would you have to do? He said, you'd have to go twice a month. I said, I can do that. I had no idea at the time. From my perspective, I was just going somewhere to play ball that I had to attend church to play. And Christ was seeking me. I had no idea. And though your path may be different, the unknown driving force behind it is the same. Jesus Christ is seeking you. Some must be sought from the depths of despair or pain or brokenness or disease. Some must be sought from the emptiness of what this world has to offer. Some must be sought in the innocence of childhood. But thanks be unto God that Christ Jesus came to seek sinners because sinners first hide from Christ rather than seeking Him. Which gets us to our third thing. You should still have a hand in Luke if you would go back there please, but to chapter 2 this time instead of chapter 19. Luke chapter 2. I said first, number one, mankind is lost without Christ. I said secondly, Jesus Christ came to seek sinners. Here's the third thing. Jesus came to save those that He seeks who are lost in their sins. This is what we would call the Christmas story. And for those of you who are around a biblical church of any sort, it is one of those sections of the Bible that we read many times and over and over and preach from over and over when we draw nigh to the Christmas season. But there's a section of it that's especially applicable to our thought for today. In Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 9, and it says, And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. The glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were so afraid. This is the angel and the shepherds outside Bethlehem. Notice in verse 10 what the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. See, some make the mistake of trying to first present Jesus as the friend who sticketh closer than a brother. And by the way, if you're a believer, Jesus is the friend who sticketh closer than a brother. But understand, before Jesus is a friend to anyone, He is a Savior. Christ is always first found as a Savior, the one who saves people from their sins. He is the only Savior. You see, a lot of people, especially in American culture, uh, they tend to think that because they know the facts about Jesus of Nazareth, or they sit in a building uh, called a church, they assume that they have all they need. Please hear me when I say this, salvation is more than being right about the facts of Jesus of Nazareth. Turn up just a few pages of Luke chapter 4, and near the end of the chapter, we're going to read the words of a devil. Uh, of what some people would call a demon. And notice in Luke chapter 4 and verse 40, it says, Now when the sun was setting, 
All they that had any sick with divers diseases brought them unto him. He laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Here it is. And the devils also came out of many, crying out and saying, Thou art Christ, the Son of God. And he rebuking them, suffered them not to speak, for they knew he was Christ. Listen, knowing the facts about Jesus is not enough to be forgiven and have eternal life. Every devil and the devil himself know that Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God. They know He was born of the Virgin Mary in that little stable outside of Bethlehem. They know that He lived a sinless life. They know that He died on the cross for the sins of all the world. They know He resurrected after three days bodily from the grave. They know the Bible promised that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. It is not in knowing those facts that someone is saved, it is in responding to them and receiving the Savior. Hear me when I say this morning, if any religion could save mankind, there would have been no reason for Jesus to come. If there was some formula or some combination of good works or religious works that could save mankind, Jesus would not have needed to come. Are you saved? Saved is a good Bible term to describe those who have been born again. They say, well, I don't need to be born again. Well, Jesus said in John 3, He said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You see, being saved is different from being Baptist, or Catholic, or Lutheran, or any other group you name. Being saved is different from being baptized or attending church regularly, though I believe saved people should attend church regularly. Being saved is different from some spiritual experience of healing that you had when God in His mercy brought healing to your life or to someone close to you. Salvation is an unmistakable personal experience you could never forget. You may forget the date. You may forget the exact words you said but you will never be able to forget your salvation experience if you have one. It leaves your heart changed. It leaves your desires changed and you will have desires for spiritual things you did not have before. You have a sensitivity to sin you did not have before. When Christ lives in any human being, it changes that human being. There is no way the Son of God, the Creator of the universe, God the Son could live in a human heart and not have it make a difference in that person's life. Do you need to call upon Christ this morning? Are you trusting your works or religion for eternal life? Do you need to repent and receive Jesus this morning to be saved? Are you trusting anything other than the finished work of Christ? For me as a 24-year-old young man, two days after hearing the Gospel for the first time, I humbled myself and called upon Christ to forgive and save me. I knew very little about the Bible at the time. All I knew is I didn't want to go to hell. I knew my sins had separated me from God. And though I believed in God, and though I had prayed when I was in trouble, I had never prayed and humbled myself to specifically ask Jesus to come into my life and forgive me. I can't explain it. When that man from the pulpit told me what I've told you this morning, I can't explain it. All I would say to you is I knew from my heart that what he was telling me was true. 
And Christ sought me. Just like He's seeking every person in this room. But I had to choose Him to be saved. You need to choose Him this morning. He is seeking you. He died so you could be saved and forgiven. You must choose. In fact, in just a moment, we're going to give what we call an invitation where we invite believing people to respond to God speaking to their heart and where we invite those who've never trusted Christ as Savior to trust Him as Savior. Would you choose this morning to believe and receive the Lord Jesus Christ? Which gets us to our last thing. You're there in Luke. Just turn there right to chapter 5. The Son of Man has come to seek and to say that which is lost, which means mankind was lost. Which means that Jesus is seeking sinners. Which means that Jesus is not just enjoying the search, He is wanting to save those He is seeking, which gets us to our last thing this morning. Number four, those who follow Christ today should be involved in seeking and saving those who are lost. I don't know what the most... Frequent, frequently repeated command of Jesus is, but this is likely it. Most people are familiar with Jesus saying, love one another as I have loved you. That was repeated. Most people are familiar with Jesus teaching to forgive our brother or to love uh, our enemy, but we're familiar with that. But those are not repeated anywhere near as much as this is repeated. In fact, 18 times. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 18 times, this particular command of the Lord Jesus is repeated. At times was spoken to an individual, other times to a group. You say, what is that most frequently repeated command of the Lord Jesus? Luke chapter 5, verse 27. It says, and after these things, he went forth, that's Jesus, and saw a publican, it's a tax collector, named Levi, sitting at the repeat of receipt of custom, and he said unto him, Follow me. And he left all, rose up, and followed him. You see, the most oft repeated commandment of Jesus was not difficult to understand. It's follow me. Here he commands Levi, who is also called Matthew. And when Jesus commanded Levi to follow him, Levi had a choice. He could have continued sitting there at the receipt of custom, ignored the command of Christ, and many did that even when Jesus did speak to them. Just like many do that today still. But thank God, Levi stood up and he left what he was doing to follow Jesus or we wouldn't have the book of Matthew this morning. You see, one key purpose for Christ coming to earth was to seek and save that which is lost and those who follow Him do the same. Hear me when I say following Jesus is more than what we do on a Sunday between 11 and 12. Following Jesus affects our marriage. It affects us as parents. It affects our priorities. It affects how we treat people. It affects what we allow to remain and harbor and, and rest in our mind and in our heart. Following Jesus is the most often repeated command and the most important thing a believer does. And it certainly affects how we look at those who are not saved. Those who have not yet received Christ as Savior. Unfortunately, some people just lament the darkness. 
And they do about everything they can to run off sinners and those who are not exactly like them. But to be like Jesus, we are seeking sinners so that they too can believe and be saved and decide whether they will follow Him or not. You see, our culture is fine when the church's focus is on feeding the hungry and clothing the needy. But our culture does not like a church that speaks up about Jesus. You see, when we speak up about Jesus Christ being the Son of God and the only way to the Father, what that means is that all other attempts and all other ways to get to our Creator will never work. Jesus, though people don't like it, could not have been any clearer than when He said in John 14.6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Me. The world does not like that message. That's why most of us are afraid to speak that message. Peter could not have been any clearer when he said in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 when he said, For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Listen, it is the name of Jesus. That's why it's easier to talk about God. I'm for talking about God. But you cross a line when you use the name of Jesus because there is none other name given among heaven, uh, under earth that we can be saved. There is no name like the name of Jesus. People don't like it, but Paul was asked one time, what must I do to be saved? You know what he said? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. So, Brother Wiley, I don't need all that stuff. You're right. Until you die. And by the way, before you die, you'll miss out on the blessing of having Jesus in your life. Listen, Jesus isn't just fire insurance. He is, for those who know Him, the friend who sticketh closer than a brother. Can I just tell you, 38 years ago when I called upon Jesus, from that time to this, it hasn't always been easy. There were a lot of times that were dark and difficult. Times when I felt like I was alone and wasn't. Times when I felt like I was alone, and I was. But from that day that I called upon Christ to this, He has never leaving me or forsaken me. And that's not because I'm special. I'm not. I'm a sinner saved by the grace of God. He wants to be that to you. And if you're here and you're saved, He wants you to be a part of the reason that He came. By the way, I thank God for the people that helped so that we recently passed out over 20,000 invitations, not just to church, but invitations for people to come to Christ. I thank God for those of you who helped. Listen, if you are a follower of Jesus and there is no part of your life that has anything to do with seeking those who are lost or getting those who are lost to Jesus, you're missing part of what it means to follow Him. Turn to Luke 9. You see, we're trying to imitate a Savior. That's what following Him is. And if you're a believer, notice what He says to you here in Luke 9.23. Luke 9.23, and He said to them all, 
If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. See, Jesus didn't want them to take his cross. That was his cross. But he does want you and I to take up ours. And if you think following Jesus is just about you having a larger 401k or you getting the next promotion at work or you having a four-bedroom house instead of a three or your name being somewhere up in lights, you don't understand what it means to follow Jesus. It means you decide to take up your cross and follow Him. There is a price that every faithful believer in Jesus is supposed to pay. You're not supposed to pay mine. That's my job. But you are supposed to pay yours. Amen? If you'd quietly stand this morning.